not as good as breaking the law. Good job today, and I, I want to I want to counteract what she said about Jeff. He doesn't play enough instruments. <clears throat> He's really going to be worth you know be more instruments, Jeff. <clears throat> we're starting uh, the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing with the Gospel of Mike, th Mark this week. We're doing number fifteen. Um, I've titled it "Family Matters." And by the way, if you haven't followed Mark the Evangelist on Twitter yet, you're missing out. Um, so last week I said some very uh, important things that were theologically and intellectually very challenging. And I told you I was nervous about that. <clears throat> I appreciate those of you that were able to encourage me. Those of you didn't, I'm going to assume you, you just slept through it. That's what I'm going to assume. But if you haven't caught that, you need to go back and listen to that because it is foundational, the theology that Jesus sets forth about the unpardonable sin and the kingdom of God and all those things. And it was, it was my longest sermon ever in Grace Life history, and I apologize for that. But my wife said not to apologize, but I still feel guilty, so I apologize for that. This week, I'm not going to challenge you as much intellectually, but to the same level that you were challenged intellectually last week, I'm going to challenge you emotionally uh, this week. Um, sorry. <laughs> so family, uh, this, this message is called Family Matters, and family can definitely be a blessing from God. Healthy families are crucial to development and happiness and effectiveness and all those things. And family does create very strong bonds and connections. And some, but not all, of our most important relationships often start with family. How we interact with family certainly is an important priority for everyone. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that, for example, in Scripture, 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his own house, so he's talking about family and extended family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Scripture does lay out a standard for how we're supposed to make family a priority. However, in today's passage from Mark, we find Jesus saying something that, frankly, is quite troubling. And controversial when it comes to this topic of family. And what it does is it makes me ask two important questions. Do you think it's possible the church in America has made the family into a spiritual religious idol? That's the first question I'm going to ask. Churches do long topical series on family, childbearing, marriage. I remember stadiums filled at promise keepers. Kind of creepy sometimes, I think, and we'll explain later. I'm not saying those things are bad. But man, family sure does get a lot of attention, doesn't it? The second question I'm going to ask, what about those that see family as painful, hurtful? What in all this talk about being a good, loving, perfect family is in it for them? Mark Chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. And his mother and his brother, this is after all this is going on. He's been preaching. The withered hand guy talks about the unpardonable sin. He's in the synagogue in Nazareth. Everybody wants to kill him. And his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called. In other words, they sent a messenger. As the crowd was sitting around, because they couldn't get in, they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside and they, they want to talk to you. It's important. 
And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Mark the evangelist, uh, the tweet from this week, Jesus knows his family wants him to stop all this kingdom of heaven talk and go home with them. But he says, right, he says his family is right here. He is going to stay with us. Being real, I'm not sure how I feel about this. What does this mean for my family? Don't feel like taking a pick. I'm too distracted. So those you've been following. I want to talk about the history of this passage today. I want to talk about what this was making me feel like this week. Tempted by family. The first thing I want you to see in this story leading up to it is there is definitely a costly impact. When Jesus came home to Nazareth, there are these massive crowds following. And how do you think Jesus' family would have been impacted by this? They know that it's his family. Everyone knew they were Jesus' family. Everyday life has been totally disrupted at every level for them. The scripture says they couldn't even sit down and eat a meal together, which was very important in the Jewish cultural society at that time. It wasn't they're saying, well, they couldn't even eat a meal. What they're saying is they couldn't even enjoy the most important part of the family day. Then you have what Jesus says or does. It triggers two really expansive responses. First of all, he'll say something and people are so angry they want to kill him. Wrath, or he'll do something that gives people this absolute feeling of desperation. I've got to get near him to get healed, to get something from him. Jesus, this is his family talking, religious leaders are infuriated with you. They're calling you Satan. And the crowds, they constantly want you to heal them. Jesus, it's gotten to a point where you can't even live a normal life. You have created a terrible mess, and you could die over it at any moment. These people could kill you. Thousands and thousands of people all wanting to either kill you or get something from you. Jesus, this has gotten ridiculous. All this talk about the kingdom, you being Messiah, it is out of control. And because of that, you can see why his family would be both agitated and concerned. And Mark makes it clear that Jesus' kingdom work has taken a very costly toll on his earthly family. His family is concerned for him. They are concerned for themselves. And they are certainly becoming desperate. They want to help him. Of course. They want to save him from himself. And they want to protect, obviously, and... I don't blame them. They want to protect their own way of life. So the brothers take mom. No doubt a bit of Jewish guilt manipulation there. <laughs> they take mom and themselves. Notice Joseph, his father, his half-stepfather is not mentioned. He's dead. He probably died when he was young. They go to the synagogue where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom and healing people, but they can't even get in to help him because the crowd is so ridiculous. It just kind of affirms, see, what did I tell you? We can't even get in to see our brother. His mother's right here. We can't even get her to see him. So they call for an attendant. It's so frustrating, right? The massive crowd blocking the entrance. They're related to the guy. They grew up with him. And they can't even get in? 
They ask an attendant to send a message. Tell Jesus, his mother (laughs) and brothers are outside. And they need to talk to him right stinking now. I don't know what Jewish cuss word stinking translates from, but whatever it was. (laughs) It's very important that we talk to him. So the messenger takes the message in. And there is an unexpected answer. Jesus responds by asking a very loaded question. One that grabs everyone's attention, quite frankly, just like he did with the unpardonable sin thing the week before. It's a very attention-grabbing thing. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And Jesus' answer surprises everyone. It was probably, frankly, even hurtful to his mother and brothers, maybe. He asks the question, then he looks around with this dramatic question and follows it up with a very dramatic pause. And the answer is shocking, puzzling, frankly, quite stunning. You all here with me right now, you're my mother. You're my brothers. You that have believed my words and have followed me. What Jesus has done in this moment has echoes to today, and that is this. He has redefined the family as those who are called by faith to follow him and do the will of God. He has broadened the definition of family far past blood. So that's the history of the passage. What about the spiritual side? I want to talk about the eternal family. Now, before we get into this, I want you to understand that Jesus did honor his earthly family. Don't take today's passage as Jesus being flippant about family. He is certainly not. As a matter of fact, a couple of examples of this, while hanging on the cross with the fate of the world on his shoulders, about to die for sin, what does the scripture say happens? He is concerned for his widowed mom. As she watches her firstborn, who is about to die a brutal horrible, painful death, Jesus looks down from the cross, looks at John the elder, and says, John, look after her. It's in John 19, 25 to 27, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus saw his mother while he's on the cross, and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. That's pretty emotional. So Jesus clearly doesn't hate his mom. He loves his family and he sees his mom and her sisters and his sisters and everybody's there. And so he does have a soft spot in his heart for mom, of course. But in today's passage, what we also see is it's very clear that Jesus' brothers weren't yet part of this new redefined family that Jesus had. They had not accepted the fact that he was a Messiah. But later on, we learn that they were. I love this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says that, you know, all these with one accord, the apostles, disciples, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So later on, we see what happened. His brothers got 
the idea that, oh, wait a minute, this is our new family. The ones that we felt rejected for when we went to the synagogue, we can't live without them now. So Jesus did honor his family and he loved his family. But what Jesus does is he does redefine family. Jesus has declared for Christians, family is no longer to be defined or limited in biological terms alone, but it is now to be defined in spiritual ones. Jesus declares those who believe his words and serve him and the kingdom and that trust the gospel, these, these are family. He redefines family as a connection to people of faith that are enabled to obey his words and those who are willing to, if necessary, forsake all to follow him. He has put his love and affection for this group of people, these disciples, he has put his love and affection for them on the same level as he has for his mom and his brothers. It's a new Chosen by God, eternal family. Bound together not by blood, but by the Spirit of God who has called them out of darkness and into light. Now, would they prove to be just as dysfunctional as the earthly family? You better believe it. Look at us. We're pretty dysfunctional here at Grace Life. I mean, we meet in a comedy club for church. But nevertheless, they are family. See, Jesus has this thing that he's put in place called kingdom priority. His family didn't want Jesus to put the kingdom priority before them. Their comfort. Their needs. Jesus isn't disowning his earthly family. He is declaring a higher priority for his life than his earthly family. That's what he's doing. He is declaring that his earthly family's agenda... No matter how sanctimonious it may seem, no matter wholesome it may feel, his family's agenda is not more important than his father's agenda. At this point, his brothers don't believe the message, his role as Messiah and Savior for their souls. So what he's actually saying to them is this. When they say, Jesus, come out and talk to us, you know what he's really saying? No, you come to me. Don't ask me to come to you. Family. If you're my family, don't ask me to come to you. If you're my family, you will come to me. We know this because that would be consistent with what he teaches throughout his public ministry. Here are some verses you are not going to like. <laughs> Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her father-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Man, that sucks. <laughs> whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, that's fun. <clears throat> then there's an example in Luke chapter 9, 59 to 62. And to another, he said, follow me. 
But the guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. <sighs> Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet to another, he said, yet, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's tough stuff, huh? I asked Al about this before church. And Luke 14, 26 came up. He was saying, well, doesn't Luke say, if, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple? Al says, I'm good with hating my family. <laughs> it's very clever. But see, here's what's really going on here. Jesus is teaching us that a spiritual family, in many ways, even though you can't see it, is far superior to an earthly one. Because these family bonds we have here are eternal. I want to talk about the personal side. I want to talk about a family of hope. This was the uh, Sunday sermon preview this week. Is it possible to love family too much? That was the question I asked. Frankly, that was the question I was ask, asking, left asking myself this week. Do you find this severe challenge that Jesus offers, not just in this example with his family, but with the verses he read, we read in Matthew and Luke, do you find this at odds with your view of family extremely pro problematic? I mean, are we just supposed to ignore this? Pretend he didn't really mean it. Even though he said it six different times, he doesn't really mean it. If not, then what is it supposed to mean? I think that there are two personal applications. One or both are ones that each one of you need to heed. Here's the first personal application when family is an idol. I've been in ministry a long time. Full-time, part-time, in churches, whatever. I have seen this. There are some people who worship their families. It's not that they love them. That's fine. This is different. They worship them. And think about this. Most church promos, whether it's a bulletin board or a Facebook ad or a video, whenever they're trying to recruit people into their doors, into their church programs, most church programs are full of young, beautiful families that are in great shape. Their hair is perfect. Their smiles are gorgeous. Their teeth are white. And they're always sitting around a table playing games or reading the Bible. It's a family church. And I was joking around. We were talking about this. And, you know, it's a family church. And that's okay. If your family's not good, we'll make it just like this one. Come into our church. We'll heal all your family wounds. You two will have white teeth and great hair. And read the Bible with your kids. Another thing that happens is some people will use the importance of family as a very convenient excuse, a crutch to moderate your kingdom commitment. Well, I could, but family first. It's also the reason why your family and your love for them could end up being a prime target to be used as a temptation that keeps you sidelined in kingdom work, on the bench. When we idolize the concept of family, what we are doing... <coughs> 
follow me here, when you idolize the concept of family, here's what you're doing. You're placing your hope for joy in something or someone other than Jesus. Here's what you think. If I can just do a good job with my kids and my wife and my dog and my mortgage, all that, if I do a good job with that, I will have some pretty good satisfaction in life. Tim Keller has a quote that I found this week. The human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives, because we think they can give us significant security and safety and fulfillment if we can attain them. Here's the problem. This is my second application for this week. When family fails, Jesus doesn't. Question, do you think the message the church teaches in general about family can be hurtful? maybe even discouraging to some. Some of you in here are very fortunate. You have strong, healthy families. They're functional. They're whole. You get along. It's really cool. Sadly, right now, that's more uncommon than common for most people, even in this room. Many of us, Pastor Joe included, have families that are a mess. They're chaotic. They're painful. They're dysfunctional beyond repair. In fact, for some of you in this room, your biological family has been the worst, most painful part of your life. Christ followers who through no fault of their own or perhaps maybe sometimes fault of your own have painful experience that is Experiences that are associated with your biological family. Chaotic, messy, unfixable. And what are they supposed to do with this family first idea? Why would I want to do that? Every time I interact with my family, it's a slap in the face, a stab in the back. Costs me money, time, emotion, heartache. You're telling me family first around the table? I don't want to be anywhere near these people. So can you see how Sometimes when a church idolizes family, it can put a really painful, unfair burden, even guilt, on single moms, widows, single dads, orphans. What are they supposed to do about this beautiful picture of the family in the church advertisement? See, what Jesus does for us, church, in redefining what family is, it's not demeaning to earthly family. That's not the point. What it really is, when he redefines it, says, my mother and my brother and my sisters are those who follow me. It's actually a message of hope. Blood family, as precious as it is, is temporary at its very best. It can't save you. It can't get you to heaven, and it cannot be a source for eternal hope. It can be a hope for a good Christmas. Maybe. A healthy, earthly family can certainly bring some earthly comfort and satisfaction, but it cannot bring you redemption, forgiveness, or eternal hope. 
And when Jesus redefined family, think of how, think of this, think of how healing that could have possibly been for some that were in this group. Maybe it's healing for some of you in here right now. Can you see how Jesus' new definition of family provides hope and healing for so many that are in a broken and fallen world? Because unlike your earthly family, this new spiritual family enjoys eternal hope together. Joy, which is what? The supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. And peace for everyone that is called into it. This new family provides bonds and support your earthly family has failed to give you. Has failed to deliver on. And let me tell you something. While some of you have a good earthly family, some of you know what I'm talking about right now. That if it wasn't your, for your church family, you would be lost, hopeless, devastated, alone, and a total chaotic mess. But for some reason, God has decided to redefine family through the work of Christ on the cross and say, hey, listen, it's okay. I've made a new way to have a family. And it's based upon eternal truth, not who your DNA is from. Some of you know you would be lost without Jesus' definition of family. In fact, knowing the earthly pain your earthly family has brought you, it fills you with gratitude when you are with your church family. So I'll end with this. So who do you think Apostle Paul thought was his family? You guys know I love the book of Philippians. I hear there's a good book out on it called The Grace Life. You should get it (laughs) for full price. And then um, Paul does something in Philippians chapter 1 that I think describes exactly what this new family looks and feels like. I thank God. He's talking to the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? This is the new definition of family. It's part of a little thing I like to call the grace life. Dad, we're so thankful that you give us family. Yes, we're thankful for our biological family. But Lord, we recognize they're going to fail us. Some of us have been colossally failed by our biological earthly family. But then you give us this message of hope about this new family that can be held together because of a common calling out of darkness into light, into salvation and grace through faith. And you say say to us, those who hear my words and follow me, they are my mother, they are my brother, they are my sisters. So Jesus, thank you for making me your brother.